Heavenly Father, as we gather together in your house this morning, I ask but one thing, that the words that I say would not be mine, but that they would be yours, and that I would get out of my own way and surrender myself to your Holy Spirit, and that you would be with us as we contemplate the glorious mystery that is you revealed to us, the triune God, in the person of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A few months ago, I went out dancing with some friends. And I had it in my mind that I was going to dance with a particular young lady that night and impress her with my dancing skills. The only problem with my strategy is that I'm not a very good dancer. But I was determined. And I thought with just a little bit of confidence, uh, that that would be all that I would need to be a passable dancer. After all, how hard can it be? <laughs> so I sauntered up, I asked her to dance. Unfortunately, she said yes. And I promptly stepped on both of her feet at the same time. <laughs> you see, dancing is a difficult thing if two people are trying to accomplish different things. If you don't have the same mind and the same intention, then you quickly find yourselves at odds with each other. And there's other examples of this. I'm sure all the married folk here can think of at least one dilemma in which a decision was made out of sync with each other and the calamity that follows. But what about the church? What about our communities and our friends? All human relationships that we have our relationship with the church, it is important to be of one mind. So today as we think about this on Trinity Sunday, it's, it's a good day to talk about being of one mind. And since Trinity Sunday would be incomplete without using some weird theological word, I'm going to use the word perichoresis. You can write that down for your vocabulary word for the week. I'm sure you say it all the time, though, just now and about. Perichoresis. It's an old word which describes the nature of the Trinity in terms of a dance. A unity of will. In this unity, the dance is without flaw or mistake. Because God is of one mind in himself, there is no room for two left feet. So what does that mean for us? Why does it matter that God is in unity with himself? So we have to look then at Genesis, because God initially made us in his image. And to be made in the image of God, we have certain responsibilities. We are known as image bearers, the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. But even then, what does that mean? It's simple. It's to be one. Jesus reveals to us in St. John's Gospel, in his high priestly prayer, when he says, Father, let them all be one, as you and I are one. This is the most critical calling of the Christian life, to be one with each other, with everyone, with those that are poor, those that are weak, those who are different than us, who have different colors of skin, who worship differently, who vote differently, who live differently, to be one with them. 
have to be. Because if not, then we are no longer bearing the image of God. Well, that's, that's all well and great. Let's just be a little bit nicer then, yeah? No, it's, it's much more than that. Because the problem in all of this, however we may desire to be in unity with each other, we have this issue with sin. The problem with sin is that it not only separates us from God, but it separates us from each other. It drives a direct wedge and is directly related to the fragmentation of the human family. It's sin that causes issues between Cain and Abel. It is sin that causes humanity to be fractured at Babel. And in every situation in which the human family is driven farther from God and farther from each other in the scriptures, it is because of sin. And what, what do we think about that in today's world? What does that look like for us? It's not quite as you know, relatable as maybe you know, killing our brother, but when we think it's better to rid ourselves of unwanted children, to turn a blind eye to those who seek refuge from violence and devastation. When we decide that we should move ourselves away from certain minority groups to create more comfortable lives. When we decide we would rather have a comfortable and clean gospel free from all difficulty and challenge. And what is the result of that? When we look around, we see that we are a divided people. We are a divided church. We are a divided Christendom. And it is, of course, a temptation to think that things may be worse today than they have ever been. But that is not the case. One merely needs to open the scriptures to see that we have always been at odds with each other. But it doesn't have to be this way. But we are in danger. We are in danger of losing our humanity. And by doing that, losing our ability to be in unity with each other and with the God who loves us. You see, because in his infinite love, God desires two things. That we would be in unity with each other and that we would be in unity with him. Think about that. What's, what's better than being in unity with God and with each other. The eternal triumph God in unison, loving us so much that to defeat the fragmentary nature of sin and death, this very God would deign to condescend and be nailed to a cross on our behalf. The challenge then is how we are to live our lives in the face of this reality. If we are to combat divisiveness of human sin, and we are to face the challenge of being Christians in the 21st century, we have to be in unity with each other. We must make every church and every Christian household places of radical community and hospitality. We must look outward into our communities and see ways that we can turn them into places of hope and of healing. Each church has a town and each home a church, and the interrelation of these things unified to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to uplift the oppressed, and to share the life-giving message of Jesus Christ with all people is a powerful and a beautiful thing. In these ways, we are knit more together as human beings. 
we become more human, and because of that, we reflect more the beautiful mystery of our triune God, which is a reality that is not done justice by simply commemorating it on one day. There is a temptation, I think, in recent times to find some sort of strange gimmicky representation for this great mystery of the faith, the Trinity, but I can do no justice to end this in any other way than to give you the words that the Church has given to us. Even Dante Alighieri, that famous Italian poet in the Paradiso, the conclusion of his divine comedy, finds himself completely at a loss for words as he beholds the vision of the Trinity, and instead he just remarks at the love that ordered the stars. So instead of giving you a poem or attempting to wax eloquent, I will leave you with this. Whosoever will be saved, before all things it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith, unless everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. It's from the Athanasian Creed, which we can find in our prayer books, anywhere else, really. As we prepare now to encounter Christ in the Eucharist and turn ourselves toward the heavenly throne room, let us remember this mystery in our hearts and ask for the grace to live our lives as the bearers of this image, keepers of this sacred mystery, in this sacrament of unity in which we are caught into the life of the Trinity, we remember not our own merits because it is nothing that we can do, that we can do but we approach boldly with hope that we all may be one as Christ and the Father are one.